0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is well. And we thank you that it speaks to our hearts and to our souls. And so today we gather to hear it. Lord, today we gather to, to praise you, to realize that you are everything that we need and all that we can ever ask for. And so we want to have life to the fullest. And Lord, that comes by knowing you. And so as we read these words, and Lord, as... Uh, Lord, they, they resonate with us. I pray that we would, we would do something with them. So I thank you again that we can come together as a family. and hear, Lord, your word. Amen. So as Chris mentioned last week, we are continuing our series on John. Uh, we started this series before Easter. It was about six weeks that we did it. And the first six weeks, if you remember, John, it's just about... John is making his point of recognizing that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Lord. And so Chris did an awesome job picking us up last week, working on chapters 7 through 9, and really like giving us the heart and the context of what those chapters were in during the festival, and that how what Jesus said he is the living water, how it would resonate with them. And so chapter 9 now flows into chapter 10, not just because, you know, 9, 10, 11, like we understand that, but in the, what's happening, 9 flows into 10 very well. And so if we need to understand 10, we want to know 9. And so in 9, you can open up your chapter, your Bibles to chapter 10. I'm just going to touch on chapter 9 real quick and what has happened. In chapter 9, we see this healing of the blind man, and he is now going to be investigated for his healing, which is normal practice, I guess. So the Pharisees asked the, the, blind, the healed man's parents if, uh, some questions. And they're like, you know what? Talk to him. He's of legal age. You can ask him questions. And they tell the man who was blind, listen, give glory to God, for we know Jesus is a sinner. So the previously blind guy is like, I don't know if he is a sinner or not. But what I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. And then the Pharisees, they ask, what did he do to you? Like, how did he do it? Like, what's the secret? What's the word that he said? Like, abracadabra. The heel man is almost sarcastic in his response. And says, he's almost Canadian in his response. He says, I have told you, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then the Pharisees, they're livid. They're like... Sorry, this guy's giving a slip. He's like, we are disciples of Moses, the Pharisees say. We know God spoke to Moses, but this guy, this Jesus guy, we don't even know where he comes from. The hill man, he's like, he's had enough. He's like, "I'm, I'm just, you're wasting my time that I can see. I can see now. Why are you investigating me? I don't want to see you. I want to go out and see the things I couldn't see. He's like, seriously, this is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Then the Pharisees, they're tired of this. They throw one last insult at the healed man, telling him he was steeped in sin at birth. That's why you were blind. How dare you lecture us? Get out of here. And then this leads... To a conversation of spiritual blindness. Between the Pharisees, the healed man, and now Jesus. Of not being able to see that the Son of Man is right in front of them. Now, we enter into chapter 10. And we get one of the I am statements from Jesus. If we remember, we remember Jesus in, this, in John, John is trying to tell everyone that Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. He is the living God. So this parable speaks to who he is and what he came to do for us, for the believers, or for everyone, I mean. And now we'll enter our text. So if you have your Bibles, awesome. If you're already there at John chapter 10, great. If not, I have it up here. If you have your phone, great. You can whip it out. You can look at your Bible app. But here we go. Verily, truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has, when he has brought all, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact... They will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus steps, he steps right into Old Testament tradition with talking about a sheep and a shepherd. The culture of the day understood shepherds and sheep very well. They understood this kind of talk, this kind of lingo. This was a common metaphor Jesus used in his parables, used when he talked to everyone. It was a good image to describe leadership and things like that. In the Old Testament, it describes God as the shepherd. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Psalms. And we see it in this verse in Isaiah forty ten to 11. It says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Moses and David, they were described as shepherds, and ungodly kings in Israel were commonly described as false shepherds. False shepherds. Now, when you've heard this message of John chapter 10, you've probably heard about how, it's probably common that you've heard how stupid the sheep are, how helpless the sheep are. And this is very true. If you put a sheep in a pasture, and then they let them graze, they would eat all the grass. And then they would not leave that area, they would stay there. They would just stay there, and then actually they begin to eat each other's excrement. I guess for sheep, it's okay to eat someone else's poop, but not your own poop. That's the rule in our house. Just kidding. Everyone's listening, praise the Lord. And so, but then the sheep would die even though there is a good grass just across the way, but they're, they're just too dumb to leave. Even the most fittest and athletic sheep may lie down in the grass on its side, and then they make it like as they stretch out, oh know we stretch out, and then there might be like a little depression in the ground, they might roll over, and then they would become cast, and this is the position of cast, and then if they don't get help, they would actually die. They just, they're just there, rolling around. There have been moments where I know I have felt like I have fallen and I can't get up. But I've yet to die from it. And so, sheep need shepherds. There is a book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, where he details some of the shepherd's short, or the sheep's shortcomings. They're listless wanderers. They're like that friend that walks into things. We like that friend because their entertainment value when they walk into things is pretty funny. But they just wander. There are accounts of them actually walking into open fire. I've never done that before. <laughs> they are frightened by the most ridiculous things, though other times they just, they just won't move. They're absolutely defenseless. No, There's no way to defend itself. It actually can't even play dead because if it played dead, it actually would die. And so they take the most work. If a sheep keeps going astray, a good shepherd would break its legs, put it on its shoulders and carry that sheep until its legs are healed. For the rest of that sheep's, then for the rest of that sheep's life, it would know that it just needs to be beside the shepherd. That's why it breaks its legs. Pretty sure I didn't read that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He breaks my legs beside still waters. Not in Psalm 23. I say all those things about the sheep because it's right. The sheep, they do need a shepherd. And it correlates us with the sheep. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you call me stupid. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not a sheep. And then I begin to think of some of the great ideas I've had in my life, like running backwards on a treadmill. I remember it mostly before my face hit the wall. <laughs> I remember a water fight using a glass vase while running on marble floor. I remember that because I have a scar across my hand. The emphasis on the good shepherd, on the passage of the good shepherd, isn't on the stupidity of the sheep. The passage of the good shepherd is on the love of the shepherd. It's on Jesus. It's taking our eyes of ourselves. It's putting it on Christ. We realize, yes, we need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. We need someone that's going to lead us. We need someone to follow. This passage is all about Jesus as the greatest shepherd, the one who has been prophesied to save not only Israel, but everyone, to save us all. We see in this first six verses of John chapter 10 that the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is one of familiarity and intimacy. Shepherding was an intimate occupation. The very existence of, a, of sheep depended on a shepherd of like a 24-hour-a-day care. There is no sharper image of tragedy in the ancient world. There is no, like, the greatest image of a tragedy is actually someone without a shepherd. Jesus realizes that tragedy and uses it to explain when he sees what he sees in us, his people. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without shepherd. Compassion is like this deep yearning inside. Actually, like, it starts within his heart and within his gut. And he had such compassion for them. A shepherd at this time had personal devotion to his sheep. He talks to them. He sings to them. A shepherd would sing it. And he would talk to them in this like sing-song way. Like we talk to babies sometimes. Sometimes travelers in this time would pay a shepherd money for their clothes. Not because they were, like, the top-notch clothes. Because they did this in hope of then tricking the sheep as they approached them. Because if they look like the shepherd, then maybe they'll follow them, and they could steal them. But the sheep would not come because they obey the voice that they know. Sheep might not be smart, but they know their master's voice. And we'll talk about this more. Do we know our master's voice? We see in this scripture that Jesus calls his sheep by name. Shepherds, they would call their sheep by their characteristics. Some would call them long nose, Some would call them black ear. Some would call them spot. Can you imagine if Jesus called us by our characteristics? Come here, unibrow. <laughs> Like, I'm sure he calls us by name, like Tim, Shelly, Sam. But what if he called us by the things maybe we didn't want to be called by? Like fearful, grumpy, faithless. He knows us deeply. He knows us so deeply. He says later on in the chapter that he knows his own and he knows, and he, they know him by name. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. That's intimate. Jesus is one with the Father. Obviously, He knows Him intimately. He knows Him just intrinsically. But just as Jesus knows the Father, He knows us. That's intimate. So, where we can find comfort is this that even though He knows all about us, even though He knows many of those qualities, we're like, I'm still working on them, all the good and the bad He knows about us all of our failures, all of our hurts, all of our lies, all of our past relationships, all of our anger, all of our fearfulness, all of our deceitfulness, all of sometimes our hate, he still loves us and knows us, and he calls us by name to follow him. He intimately loves us. And then the people in these first six verses, they don't get it. They, they're not hearing it. They're like, they're not understanding. There's they don't get that he is talking about he is the voice in the wilderness. He is the one who is the Messiah and who has come. That when he speaks, people will hear him and realize that he is God and they can follow him. They don't get that. They're not getting it. The Pharisees, they don't get that they're the ones that are actually trying to climb the wall into the corral and lead the sheep the wrong way and are thieves and robbers. They don't get that the watchman is gone. He has opened the door for Jesus to be the trusted shepherd. And so Jesus continues on his story now. He continues on his parable. In John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10, it says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And so we see in this passage that now Jesus is calling himself not only himself like the good shepherd, the best shepherd, but now he's calling himself a gate. I mean, if Jesus was physically present, like physically, like I am right here now in the flesh, and made some of these claims we read about, we would react like this. You're crazy. Like, I'm not listening to you because you're crazy. He calls himself a gate, a door? People who are hearing Christ are having to decipher if he's insane or if he's truly divine and the Messiah he is claiming to be. Just as they faced the question as they heard him, People are faced with the same question today. Is he crazy or is he true? So what does this mean that he is the gate? What does it really mean? So the, she- the scene has shifted from the village to the open field. In the summer, sheep are sometimes kept on pasture overnight. And then they sleep in this little sheepfold. So simply just a pile of rocks and there's this, this entrance in right through there. There is neither roof nor door, but thorns sometimes along the top. So animals can't come in to protect the sheep. And the shepherd himself sleeps right there at the entrance. Right there to protect the sheep. So if an animal was to come in, the first person it would encounter would be Jesus. Or the shepherd. The shepherd risks his life for the sheep. He lays down in front to protect them. So when Jesus says he's the gate for the sheep, he's still using the image of a shepherd, but he's now applying it directly to himself. From this picture of a shepherd sleeping in the entrance, we would expect Jesus' role to be the protector of the sheep. Jesus does indeed protect his own, but the image is developed here in a surprising way. The sheep are to enter through Jesus. Something not true of the shepherd sleeping in the entrance of a summer shelter So the image is not that of a door as a barrier for protection, but of a door as a passageway. That we come into the sheepfold through Jesus. We come to know into heaven through Christ. And that we can leave knowing we have Christ. That we can go out into this world knowing we have Christ. So Jesus is saying that he is the way to eternal life. He is the way to abundant life. A life with purpose, a life with direction, a life with hope. And then this parallels with John 14, 6, when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you come to Jesus and you accept him for the Messiah he is, you're not only saved, but you are safe. You come into relationship with him. You know now that you have eternal life. But now you also know that you are safe with him. Now what do you mean safe? I've known Christ and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's the easiest. Sometimes there's, there's life things that happen that it don't, it doesn't feel so safe. The sheepfold is in the middle of an open field. Open to all kinds of danger. It says in scripture that we will come into the sheepfold and we will go out and find pasture. We know that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Then this got me thinking about Joshua, the series that we were just talking about, and how they traveled to the promised land, and how it wasn't easy, and how it was met with danger, but the Lord provided in the desert. He did amazing things. The sheep made it through the desert and into the promised land. Sure not how they thought they were going to make it to the promised land. Joshua, he knew the voice of the shepherd. He listened to it, he followed it, and then he led those. The path to pasture isn't always easy. You may, like, you may feel right now that you are in the valley of the shadow of death, but like the good shepherd, like we see in Joshua, like we see when, he sent, when he, they were crossing the Jordan River, they sent out the ark, he has went first. That he is leading you. That he has already gone ahead. That Jesus is at the gate That Jesus, when he leads his sheep, he is at the front. He's not at the back. He is up front leading you. And he's calling you to listen to his voice. To follow him. So are we listening? Do we know it? Can we hear it? This scripture is a picture of sheep who flourish. Are content. Not by the sheep's power. Not by our power. But because of the skill of the shepherd. Our shepherd is good. He's the best. And because of the shepherd, we have what Jesus says now, this life, and we have it to the fullest. We have it abundantly, however your scripture may say. It says that they have life and have it abundantly. This is where prosperity gospel can be preached. For only nineteen ninety nine, you can have my personal copies of my life devotions outside and it will help you through anything in life, every problem you're going through. You can have it abundantly, I'll sign up for an extra five bucks. <laughs> Listen, the false teachers that are being described by the Pharisees, and they believe they held authority over Scripture, and all perceived, and they all perceived themselves to be the way. What a false teacher does is perceives themselves to be the way to God. But Christ is saying that he is the only way. So what does he mean by life? Life to the fullest. What does he mean by this? We hear people say that, you know, Christ came to give you life. And he wants you to have an abundant life. And so he wants you to have everything that you desire. Everything that you want. Abundant life is about getting Jesus. And it's about getting other stuff as well that comes with Jesus. Listen, I was poor. Family was poor. Didn't have very much. Our family grew up on food stamps. Food stamps, uh, it's like... Poor money, I guess you can say. So they give us a certain amount of food stamps a week. It's like real money, but it's not. And so we can go to the grocery store and we can buy our groceries. If I grew up in a neighborhood where there was the shoes up on the telephone wire, so what that meant was that there had been a gang shooting there or a death. I grew up in a neighborhood where uh, our neighbor pulled a gun on my mom. I know some of you are shocked, you're like, you look so kept together and so good-looking. You should be shocked that I'm still here, like, I'm still alive. Um, You see, when I go back to Pittsburgh, though, and I go back to the house that I grew up that my parents still live in today, I have a smile on my face. (laughs) Not because I'm laughing at those who still live there. Not because I'm happy because I got out of there. Or because I made it out alive. I smile because I love that place and the people there. I love where I grew up. I wouldn't change it at all. I wouldn't change any moment. I mean, maybe they, I'd ask that lady not to pull a gun on my mom. But besides that, but I was happy. Happy in the crummiest of places. But why I was happy is because I had Christ. Yes, getting things can bring you excitement. But obviously, we didn't have much, and I was still excited. And I was still satisfied. And I still had hope. And I still had a smile on my face. I still loved the people that were there. The powerful passage of Hebrews 11 highlights people of great faith and blessing, but also tells us that many believers were tortured, scourged, mocked, imprisoned, stoned. They were sawn into two, they were destitute, they were mistreated and homeless these people of great faith that we want to be like. The writer says that the world was not worthy of these saints. They were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Does that sound like abundant life? Because their life was taken? But they're men of great faith? Is that prosperity? And yet we find that these struggling people spoke of such a deep-seated joy. Joy. Paul himself, who penned the oft-quoted, exceedingly abundantly phrase, did a fair amount of writing of his joy and peace in the middle of his own difficult circumstances. He used terminology like, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Paul found his life's efficiency in Christ. But what are these riches and glory to which he refers? We know that there are only some things that can only come from God and not Walmart. God gives peace that passes all understanding. Jesus and Paul promised there would be trouble in life, in the life of a believer. Some of this trouble comes to everyone. In Matthew 5.45 it says, The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Actually, some believers deal with some problems because of their relationship with Christ. Talk to Chris Weens about life in India. Talk to people who've gone to hard places, and they are Christians in those hard places. Their new life in Christ costs them physical and material abundance. Yet, Jesus says, we have abundant life. Always we are promised a deep, abiding peace. Always we have been given a deep, abiding peace through Christ. This peace is beyond what we can work up on our own, beyond what we can do. We can't just breathe deeply and take 10 seconds of peace now. And have you noticed that peace during these times is the most outrageous blessing ever? There's times when life just seems out of control and you're like, I just felt peace. People are like, you are crazy. You should be like having a panic attack. But Christ gives peace. I want peace in those times. Abundant life is not about what we have. It's not about what we get. It's not about what we claim. Ultimately, abundant life is about what we receive as a gift from the Lord and to live knowing we are stewards of the blessings of God. It's not a sin to be rich. Stewardship is not measured by what we have received, but by what we have given. At the end of the day, perhaps that is how we know we have abundant life. When we have shared life with others. When we have enough of the blessings of God, his mercy, his peace, his love, his grace, his wisdom, to share with others. And then actually do it. That's when I have abundant life. When I look back and I tell others about all that I've received through him. But the greatest thing was knowing him. Is knowing him. Having eternal, abundant life isn't just never, it isn't just like you just never die. It is knowing the only true God and having a relationship with Him. And yes, we get to live with Him in eternity, but to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, that's abundant. There are things we can do to have a full life, of course a spiritual change like when we accept Christ and we know him as the good shepherd and we make better decisions often better circumstances happen like we see in proverbs proverbs says honor the lord with your possessions and with your first produce of your entire harvest then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine like if we do he's giving us like things to do like he's telling us you know what, if you want to live well here are some things to do It says, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. It says, the diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. And it says, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is is fully satisfied. We cannot just accept him and be like, all right, sweet. Abundant life, here I come. Where is it at? Where are all the good things? The shepherd, the sheep, it took them work. They actually had to know his voice. To listen, to decipher. And then as they listen to him, they follow him and they trust him. We accept him. There's work still to be done. A full life is never described by the things we have, but who we have and that is Christ. The last section that we'll talk about as we close here is John 10, 11 to 18. And it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his sheep, life for the sheep. The hired hen is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. no one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus isn't on salary. He isn't a nine-to-five worker. When danger comes, he does not flee. A hired hand feels, doesn't feel like he owns the sheep. He's just the person being paid to look after them. It doesn't speak of relationship. It speaks of business. Jesus gives up his life for the sheep. He's not in this for his own profit. He does not sell off his shares when he sees that things are about to take a wrong turn. He states it four times in 18 verses that he lays down his life for the sheep. He's making a point. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. For some of you, you maybe have felt like Jesus is a hired hand. That he has left you in time of danger. But this is the truth. He hasn't. His promise, he has never left you nor forsaken you. He, as the good shepherd, is actually out in front of you, leading you through. Just as he led the Israelites through the desert, and his presence went out through the Jordan first, he is shepherding you, he is speaking to you and leading you. So the question is, Are we listening? How can you trust him? How can I trust him? Because what we see, and Jesus says in these next four verses, those last four verses, he talks about how he's going to lay down his life for his sheep. But that isn't it. This isn't just about obedience to God, nor solely about personal honor. His willingness to die is a profound commitment to the ones he loves. It's a profound commitment. But what is a good shepherd if he dies? What if a good shepherd if he dies? That's it. And Not only that. What is a, a good Messiah. If he dies at the hands of the world. Now how is he all powerful. If he can't save himself. It is easy. Jesus tells them here. He's telling him. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then I. Will take it up again. It's all, he's saying, I will do it. I will do it. Nobody else will. I will do it. I will come back alive. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. He tells them what is going to happen, and then they still, they have no idea. Because the plan was never just for Israel. It was for you and I. We are in this chapter. In verse 16, he states that he has other sheep that are not of this pen, and that is you and I. The plan is much greater than they thought they, the Israelites were getting. It was about the whole world. The word good is translated kalos, which means beautiful, noble, honorable, worthy of praise. You might hear some people say the beautiful shepherd, the good, beautiful shepherd. Why is he so beautiful? Why is he so beautiful? Because of the way. He relates to us because he calls us by name, because he knows us, because we know him, because he sees our every need, because he is the door. We can go in and find protection and salvation because since we have this protection and salvation, we can go out, find pasture and have abundant life and point others to this abundant life because he laid down his life, for the sheep and he offers us all a place with him he is beautiful he is good and he cuz he does all these things because he loves us he loves us i'll just call noah up and i'll close with have you lost trust in the good shepherd Do you feel like you're lost in the flock? You know, like this flock is so big. I feel like I'm lost. I feel like I just can't trust him. I don't feel like he hears me anymore. Listen, he leaves the 99 to take care of the one. He never forgets the whole flock, but takes care of the individual within the flock. Maybe the beauty of the shepherd has left you. Maybe you read this and you're just like, I don't know. But we see the beauty by him saying, I lay it down my life for you. I am the gate. I am the way. I care for you. I know you by name. Just as I know the Father, I know you. You are my sheep. Maybe you've never accepted the good shepherd as the one to follow. Maybe you haven't entered through the gate. He is a place for you within the sheepfold. It's big. It's wide. It's wide. He's been waiting for you. He's actually, he's always been with you. And the only thing you need to do is to come to Jesus and accept him as the one. Not just a, yeah, I realize he is God and good, but accept him as the Savior, as the gate, as the one that I need to come to. As Noah plays, I love to pray with you. If you feel like, I've just lost trust in him, I've lost the beauty of who he is, or, you know, I've been wandering aimlessly out through the valley, it seems like forever. I need to go to the shepherd. If you never accepted him or don't know him as the one, I'd love to pray with you. So as Noah plays and as we sing, I'll be here at the front, and I would love to pray for you. Let's close. Father, I thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you are the one that we can trust, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, through you we have abundance. Lord, but not the things you can give, Lord. Yeah, we see all the powerful things that you can do, but we have abundant life knowing that through this life we have you right by our side.
1: And that as we listen
0: to you and as we follow you, now we see that amazing things happen. So Lord, as we close and as we worship you, Lord, let us realize that you are the good shepherd. That you lie us down in green pastures that you lead us beside still waters, that you are looking out for your sheep. You are not hired. We are yours. And you love us.